welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. I want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners. We had a record year of monthly downloads per episode with over 600,000 since July 2021. I also appreciate everyone who reaches out with their comments and suggestions. It means a lot and also allows me to continue to grow and improve as a host. Thanks so much for all your support and everything that all of you do for the baseball community and the ABCA. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABC podcast is Division I national champion Ole Miss head coach Mike Bianco. This continues our series of ABCA coaches that were national champions this year. Coach Bianco was honored with the ABCA ATEC Coach of the Year Award. Coach Bianco just finished his 22nd season at Ole Miss and is the longest tenured coach in the SEC. In 22 seasons leading the program, Coach Bianco has led Ole Miss to 18 postseason, eight Super Regional, and two College World Series appearances. Coach Bianco is one of the best we have in the game and has had some tremendous mentors in Jim Wells and Skip Burtman. Coach Bianco has had a busy summer going straight from winning a national championship to managing the USA College national team. If you want to dive back into the archives, Coach Bianco and his sons were on the podcast with me for the Father and Son series. Let's welcome Coach Bianco to the podcast. All right, here with Coach Mike Bianco, head coach, 21 seasons at Ole Miss. I uh, just looked, I think, uh, 19 regionals, uh, but ABCAA Tech Coach of the Year. And, Coach, thanks for jumping on. I know it's busy right now for you, so I appreciate this. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, and I always ask this. I mean, do, do you feel much different since winning it? Uh, no different. No different. Uh, you know, I've, I've been asked that question a lot of different ways. And, you know, has it hit you yet? And, you know... Um, and you, 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 Ryan, I think know, you know, probably, uh, my story as well as anybody that, um, you know, we got back here on the 28th, uh, which was a Monday mid afternoon and had a celebration, people meeting us here and we did the walk of champions and, you know, what, a, what a neat event. And then, um, on the docket was really that day to travel to carry North Carolina, you know, to coach the uh, USA collegiate national team. Uh, fortunately, Eric Campbell, the general manager said, Hey, we'll give you a couple days. Uh, and so, you know, within the next 36 hours or so, uh, tried to sit with, you know, Carl Lafferty, Mike Clement, my assistant coaches and 
try to kind of figure out the summer, you know, and with, with me not here. And uh, so, you know, some things that weren't planned that we tried to speed up. And then of course, uh, uh, kind of, you know, finished it up with a, a parade through Oxford and a, a celebration here at the stadium and then jumped on a plane. And so uh, the last you know, month, you know, I've been away. And uh, so I spent about 48 hours here uh, and then about a, about three weeks or so with uh, Team USA. So, uh, yeah, I haven't had a lot of time to, to reflect on it a lot. I've you know, spoken. I haven't done a lot of interviews, believe it or not. You know, and so um, it's it's been a whirlwind, you know, to say the least. Yeah, I had a chance to see and carry briefly. I was surprised you got there that quick, by the way, because, you know, I was there the day before and you weren't there. And then I see you walk in and you jump right into bunt coverages, which is something you don't think about with the, the college national team. It's like those are the small things that you have to try to get instilled before you start playing. So, I mean, how was that getting there and then jumping right into it? Well, part of it, uh, you know, and I, I tease, you know, Eric said, you know, to take as much time as, as you needed. But, you know, the two, two things I think that were on my mind, uh, you know, one probably more important was I had to get my players there. You know, I, you know, I felt where um, we were at this, you know, training camp or going to this training camp for the USA national team and Jacob Gonzalez, Hunter Elliott and Mason Nichols were all invites. They were part of that, that 50 uh, kids that were getting invited to carry to really try out for a week uh, to where we whittled it down to 26 guys that would be the, the team USA that would compete internationally over in the Netherlands in a hunkball tournament. And so number one, that was on my mind. You know, I need to get those guys there. It's unfair. Um, and they may not even want to go. They may want to stay a little bit for the celebration, but we, we need to get them there. Uh, so one, they could experience that. And, and two, so they could, um, you know, make the team, you know, so they could put their best foot forward. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing was the commitment that I made. I think a lot of people thought, hey, if you win a national championship, you know, that's what you do. You become the USA coach. No, it's it's not. It's, uh, you know, it was a commitment that I made with USA Baseball some eight months ago, uh, back in, you know, late 2021 uh, to, to, to be the manager. And so they just happened to coincide. And, and so, you know, a commitment that, you know, was an honor you know, and, 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 and one that, you know, I wanted to keep. And so, you know, getting there quickly, you, you say about the bunt defenses, you know, when you talk about USA baseball, yes, it's the best uh, players our, our country has to offer uh, at, you know, amateur baseball players, but you know, the, I think the, the, I think the angst that we all had, you know, the coaches and Cliff Godwin and Josh holiday and Scott Brown was how do we make this a team? You know, not just an all-star team, you know, of great players, but, you know, we got to be able to play and compete in a tournament, you know, not just a one game showcase. And, uh, and so some of that is doing a lot of the little things, right. A lot of the fundamentals. When you're divvying up uh, responsibilities with your staff at Ole Miss for this summer, what was the most, obviously recruiting is the most important thing, but then is it camp below that? Um, I think, I think it's hard to prioritize. I think we, we try to not make lists like that, which I make lists this way. You know, uh, try, you know, because the little things matter. And so, uh, yes, camp matters. Recruiting matters. Uh, I think that the exit meetings, you know, matter. Um, you know, some of the things that uh, maybe don't fall on that first long line, uh, things that, you know, can wait till, you know, I got back in late July. Uh, stuff, you know, administratively, I think, uh, through the, uh, you know, the athletic department and, and some of those types of things, you know, we pushed to the back burner, but we tried to, to, to look up certainly, um, 
some of it's just personnel. Some of it's, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, the, the coaches, some of it's, you know, talking to the administration about bonuses and raises and, and trying to check those boxes because those are important, right? People want to get paid and people are worried about their future. And, and I, and I, I had that as well to, to uh, I think, you know, you know, on my mind where, you know, we wanted to make sure that these coaches that had worked so hard for this, um, you know, they didn't deserve, I, I, I took on the commitment to coach, you know, the USA national team, they don't need to get their, their lives and their futures postponed a month, you know, for me. So, you know, well, a lot of those little administrative things that I think as a coach, um, he, he, whenever your season ends and let's face it, you know, uh, uh, I've, as you mentioned, uh, 22 years, but 21 true years without counting COVID. So 21 real seasons that our season ended before the national championship game. And most teams do, right? Only two play in the national championship game. And so usually you have a few weeks, even if you're coaching the USA national team, usually you have a you know two or three weeks. And the way we were playing early in the season, I thought I was going to have a lot of time. Uh, and I don't, I, I say that laughingly now, but that was true. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at our staff, uh, and, uh, you know, I thought those guys would be playing. I was going to be the one that I was already in my mind thinking, you know, I'm, I may go a day early. I may not go on the 28th. I may go on the 26th or 27th and whoever's not in Omaha can, can join me there where we can start some of this. And, uh, uh, because by then I would have had a few weeks to tie up all the exit meetings and all the, the, the contracts and all the camp stuff and all the recruiting and all those things that you do at the end of the year to try to flip that page. How nice is it to have Mike and Carl with you? I mean, you guys have been together for a long time. That's got to be comforting, doesn't it? Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, uh, I was worried. I, I coached the USA national team. I was the pitching coach in 2013 and, uh, and really had talked to Mike Gasky and Eric Campbell probably for a decade before then where – you know, I wasn't ready to take on that responsibility. I was, uh, uh, I kind of shied away from it early in my career just because my children, my personal children were so young. Um, you know, I got here at Ole Miss when I was 33. And so uh, we had young children and I wasn't ready to just, uh, and the tour at that time, the USA baseball tour was much longer and I wasn't ready to commit the time. You know, I, I you know, I was a young coach and figured, you know, I, I would be able to do it, you know, later in my career. And fortunately I was, um, but, uh, and part of that is not just personally, but your program, can you put your program down for, you know, uh, you know, several weeks and, and hand it over to your assistants and none better you know, to hand it over to then, you know, Mike Clement and Carl Lafferty. And uh, they're tremendous assistant coaches, but are going to be great head coaches whenever they choose. They, they could have done that by now. Fortunately, they, they, they've chose to, uh, to stay at Ole Miss, you know, at, at the present moment. But uh, I had no reservations. I knew from a recruiting standpoint, I knew from uh, kind of, as I'd said, you know, I guess using the, the metaphor, flipping the page or turning the page to the next season, uh, they could help me do that or you know, do it on their own you know quite efficiently second go around Omaha did you adjust the team schedule at all from the first time you were in Omaha not much um you know one of the things that that I learned uh with with my years with coach Burpin uh uh was you know I was part of the system and it's amazing we were we were talking they're they're writing a book about the national championship and uh I sat you know with a, an hour and a half two hours yesterday with Chase Parham who's writing the book you know here in Oxford uh, in, in one of the you know, similar question. And uh, one of the things that was amazing to me now, again, 
I'm, I'm old and this was the 90s. So this is 30 plus, you know, 30 years ago. But but going through uh, going to Omaha in the 90s with LSU and Skip Bertman, um, he, one of the reasons I think they had so much success, obviously, is, you know, probably the greatest college baseball coach ever. We had great players and great teams, but uh, I, I, I was there for five years. We went to the college world series four times and won three national championships. So perfect timing, right? You know, I like caught it perfect. But the thing that, you know, people are astonished, we stayed in the same hotel. See, this was before that, you know, they would give you hotels, but you didn't have to stay there. So we stayed in the same embassy suites as a player in 1989 and as a coach, 93, 94, 96, and 97. As a coach, in those four years, I stayed in the exact same room, the exact room, second floor. I don't know the number 213, but I it was right next to the stairwell. And the reason that was my room is because I didn't have to get on the elevator. I could walk up and down the stairs one level. And Bertman stayed in the same room. All the assistant coaches stayed in the same rooms. Uh, and so it was a machine, you know, uh, how you packed your bag. You know, so this is pre, you know, laptop and cell phones, you know, in the 90s. And so, you know, we packed a pencil sharpener. We packed, you know, certain notebooks and certain things that, uh, because you planned on being there for 10 days and they, they were, they usually were there for 10 days and, and he had tremendous success. But the point is he, he had a system for everything and a plan for everything. And, uh, it, it wasn't a bowl game. You know, this was, this was, this was, you were there to win a tournament like you are regional or super regional, uh, conference tournament. We were there to win it. And, uh, in, in the structure that we had. And it sounds almost like, wow, man, you know, you, you want to enjoy it. Well, it's hard to enjoy if you're just shooting from the hip, yeah. you know, and it's kind of in, in the players sometimes feel that as well. And so I think part of the, uh, part of that system was to make sure that you were able to accomplish what you need to accomplish, uh, but also give them the free time. Cause there's a lot of downtime as you know, right. You know, there, there's not many tournaments where you play and have a day off play and have a day off. And so you got to be able to utilize that, that downtime to where they can still feel where they're sharing time with their family and friends. Uh, but you're still getting business done. And those are peak performance hacks. You know, you, you lay out the routine the same because you kind of get primed to go out and perform at your best. And those LSU teams were built for that re that format back in those days. You know, a different format back in the 90s. And it seemed like LSU would just bludgeon teams at the end of that tournament because their offense was so good. And the format now in Omaha is much different where you can roll it out with two or three pitchers and get hot and, and have a chance to win that tournament now, which is much different than the 90s tournament. Right. And, you know, and you're exactly right. And then you know, you're probably the biggest difference, you know, uh, is just the championship series, yeah. you know, and that's, um, you know, uh, in all those tournaments in the nineties. Uh, and that, that was really done just because of the TV contract. CBS bought the championship game that they just didn't want, you know, they wanted one game. They didn't want, you know, cause the old college world series, I say old, you know, the, when I was growing up in the eighties, um, you know, the old college world series that you'd see on ESPN, you know, it was just your regular 18 double elimination tournament. Yeah. And so, you know, you had a, a winner's bracket and a, a loser bracket champion and, you know, you had the, the, the final and then the if next game right the if necessary game and so cbs never really wanted that you know you don't want hey this might be the championship you know they they wanted uh you know one one game winner take all so that's where you got the two 14 brackets that uh, and then eventually espn you know college baseball continues to grow and and espn you know you know bought the bought the college world series and change it to a three-game formats but uh you know the uh you know part part of that offense is 
the stadium, you know, yes. uh, back in the nineties, you know, you're playing in Rosenblatt where the, the stadium was turned a different way and the wind was blowing out and, you know, the bats were different and, uh, you know, Omaha, unfortunately, um, you know, the college world series and, uh, Omaha, I think early on, uh, when they, when they opened up the original TD Ameritrade and now Charles Schwab field, um, they took a lot of heat that, that wasn't fair, you know, about the stadium, you know, uh, because, uh, when they were in the beginning to build that stadium, people didn't want all the home runs. They didn't want the, you know, 21 to 18 USC versus Arizona state, you know, championship game. And so people were trying to find out how do we, how do we end all of this? How do we end all the homers? You know, is it the bats is, you know, in the championship in the world series, is it, you know, is it Rosenblatt is, you know, and, and so nobody was worried about build, building a field that was too big, right? Nobody was worried about building a stadium that wasn't you know going to be conducive to home runs. If anything, we want to, we want to knock the home runs down and, uh, uh, and so it became, you know, the perfect storm. They they build this stadium, you know, and un, un, probably uh, unknowing to them that the NCA was changing the bats at the same time. And so, you know, the the BB core bat came in, you know, the same. The lead pipes. Those were lead yeah. pipes when they first came yeah. out with them. Yeah, it's much so better. I want to say, well, I think, I want to say it was the same year, wasn't it? 2011. Yeah. Yeah. So the first year. Uh, of the of the new stadium in the same, first year of the bats, and so it was uh, the perfect storm of uh, not a lot of offense in in Omaha. What is it about a team getting hot down the stretch and having to play your your way in? I mean, you get to the halfway point, and and obviously you get swept by Alabama, but you guys start to get going. What is it about a team that that has to play their way in down the stretch? Um. I think the, 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 the short answer that I probably didn't realize until the end was, um, you know, people talk about the end of our regular season and we played really well. Uh, you know, they talk, you know, they use the, the low water mark of seven and 14 in the drive back from Fayetteville where uh, we could have won uh, all three games and we won one. We won on Friday night, but it was the third week in a row that we had won on Friday night in the SEC, which is tough to do, but lost the next two games, right? And uh, so three weeks in a row, you're talking about six games. And um, when you look at those six games, we could have won any, not that we should have won, but we could have won. It wasn't like, hey, we lost nine to one. Uh, we were in every one of those games and we just didn't do enough. And you know, some of it was our own undoing. Uh, some of it was the other teams and life in the SEC. Welcome to the SEC. If you don't play well, you lose in our leg, right? And, uh, and some of it, I think, is just baseball fortune. And, uh, uh, and we just didn't have enough of that going for us. And we played uh, pretty well for a few weeks in a row against Mississippi State, against South Carolina, against uh, Arkansas, but didn't have a lot to show for it. And, uh, and so that, that, that was really tough. But then we played really well at the end, put ourselves in position. Um, but in that fight back, and the reason I tell you all that, and people know that is, you know, when we started playing well, we were so far behind that we were going, it was, it was trying to run up this mountain that even if we played well, even if we won a game, we're trying to catch people. We're at seven and 14 and we're trying to catch people that are 14 and seven. I mean, that's what Arkansas was when we left. I want to, I want to say they were 14 and seven. We were seven and 14. We only have nine games left. And so it was a pretty steep hill that we were trying to climb. So anyway, now you fast forward to Memorial day and us getting into the tournament 
I think, I've, and I've made this comment before, I don't remember a time uh, in the 21 years of sitting in that room watching you know, the selection show on ESPN, I don't ever remember a time seeing the team that excited, that elated. Now, granted, there was years where we were hosting and they knew their name was going to pop up and they were just looking to see who they were going to play. But there's been other years that we weren't really sure or where we would go or, you know, we think we're in, but we're not going to host. Where are we going? Um, this was the most elated, the most excited, the most genuine uh, that I've ever seen those guys uh, sit in that room and when they got announced. And I tell you that, because I didn't know how we would respond. You know, I knew we were a good team, and but would we play well? You never know. It's tournament baseball. We'll see what happens. And they played unbelievably well uh, for the next you know month. And 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 I say that because what happened was, in my opinion, we stopped having to go uphill. And now you're postseason, and now everybody's zero and zero. And so now it's flat ground again. And so if you can play at that high level, uh, man, it's almost like you're running downhill now, right? You know, cause you're so, so, so much, you know, so much of that has been running uphill for the last month or so, man, if we can just get the level playing ground and we did. And fortunately we played well. Now you talked about the LSU teams, you're bringing pencil sharpeners. There's no technology. How do you keep your players and staff away from the outside noise now that is technology? Because you're going to see it on the phone. You're going to see it on an iPad. How do, how do you keep everybody away from that noise? You, you, you can't. Um, you know, it, it's got to be a choice. And, and, and if you're referring to the middle of the season when we're not playing well, um, uh, yeah, it's tough today. You know, it, it really is. And it's tough when you're talking to young people that are 18 to 22 years old to tell them to put something down that it's part of their lives. It's 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 easier for me. You know, it's easier for the coaches. I, I didn't always have a cell phone when I was their age. I didn't have a cell phone. And and so even though that uh, it's part of my life now and and my life, you know, uh, would be much different without it, I could live without it. You know, uh, and I think most people my age and even younger, you know, could manage life without it. I think it would be hard for young people to, to live without that, you know, computer camera phone in their pocket, you know, 24 seven. And so uh, that, that's I, I don't know if that's the answer, but the, the answer is to continue to explain to them, um, you know, that it's not helping them, you know, not in what their goals are. You know, and and, you know, we make a comment a lot. Hey, be careful when you're playing well and things are going well. If you're reading all of that stuff now and you're believing it, then when it goes bad, you know, then you're going to read it and believe it then. And it's not going to be helpful. And so, um, you know, try to, you know, we use another comment or metaphor that, you know, if it's not in our dugout, let's not worry about it. You know, and so we're we're going to we're going to believe and we're going to trust and uh, we're going to push for the guys in our dugout outside our dugout. Hey, we can smile. We can shake hands and we can sign autographs and we can do all of that. But what we care about is the people in our dugout. And, you know, that's the most important thing. And, you know, and I think it's even tougher in a program like ours, you know, where, you know, you have, uh, you know, over 8,500 season tickets, you know, every weekend when you step out, you have 10 to 12,000, you know, baseball fans, you know, uh, there's only a handful of programs in the country that, that, that have um, that fan base, that expectation. And, uh, and so when you're not having success, it's tough. 
you know, uh, it, it's, it's, but it's part of the gig, you know, and I, as I told him, you know, you know, when it's, when it gets tough, you know, uh, you wanted this, you know, you want, you wanted to be here. You know, you, you could have played somewhere where nobody cared. Well, they care here, yeah. you know, and they, they care both ways and, you know, they want you to win and, and then and put it in perspective. And then probably the last comment that we say a lot is, you know, don't, don't take uh, advice, you know, or don't let somebody hurt your feelings or get you down that you wouldn't take advice from, you know, in your hitting or in your pitching or in your everyday life, you know, well, why are you going to let that guy, uh, you know, uh, you know, beat you up or make you feel differently. And, uh, and, and one of the guys to probably put it in, you know, the best terms, Chris Coglin, you know, spoke to the team really at the beginning of our, our term. Uh, and I think had a lot to do with it because, you know, sometimes perspective is great. And one of the comments that Chris challenged the guys, he said, you know, what's, uh, what's the goal? Well, you know, what's the most important, you know, and, you know, you heard different things in the room from, you know, uh, win this pitch, right? Present moment, mental game type stuff uh, uh, to guys say, hey, just just get to postseason, right? You know, and, you know, he basically said, you know, shame on you. You know, you know, at, at Ole Miss, when you're walking to the dugout, and it's been like this for uh, 22 years. The goals are listed win 40 regular season games, win the Southeastern Conference Championship, host a regional, host a super regional, get to Omaha, win a national championship. Those have been the goals in basically that order. And uh, he says, every team before you has accomplished those goals or one of those goals or whatever. They've been to postseason. Matter of fact, just getting to postseason is not even on that board, right? It's win 40 regular season games, and it says host a regional. It doesn't say make a regional. And, and so he said, you know, shame on you that, you know, what, what you may not be able to win 40 games, and I don't think you can win the Southeastern Conference, and I'm not sure that you can host. But the only goal left that you can accomplish is win the national championship. Is that possible? And they all said yes. And so until that's not a goal, until that's not possible anymore, I don't know why you would take the most important because that's the most important thing anyway. Nobody really cares about the other ones if you if you accomplish that one, which is true. We didn't do any of those other until the very end. We got to 40 games, but it's 40 regular season games. So we didn't even get to that. We didn't get any of the other goals, but we got the biggest one. And and really it made us think that like, yeah, why, why, why would you change your goals? And that happens. And that happens a lot because of the outside noise, right? Yeah, it happens because of the media. It happens that you're not in the, you know, the 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 pundits, you know, uh 64 who's going to regionals and who the host sites is they go across all the websites every week, you know, the last two months of the season. And so, you know, those, those that, I think that that really resonated with our guys and uh, you know, it was a, again, a different perspective. Do you guys win it? If Tim Elko decides to not come back? Uh, no, no, I don't think we win it. I mean, no, you got to have a guy like that to, yeah. to lead, right? A yeah. Veteran presence probably helps keep some of the noise out of there too keeps everybody centered in on what you're trying to do without a doubt i mean obviously you know you're talking about a guy that broke the home run record so you know physically and statistically yeah i don't think we can win it uh but just the other part is i uh, you know uh, one of the things that i've said over and over again is we don't get out of that hole um uh i think you know there's times in the season and, and we've never been seven and fourteen 21 years, you know, that's the only time we've ever been that low. Um, and there's teams when you get to that point, uh, you go in a lot of different directions. Uh, well, usually two directions, right? You're either going up, you're at the all time you know, low, you're, you know, uh, 
you're either going to go up or you're going to go even lower. And, uh, you know, I never during last year's season ever looked in a dugout, ever looked at them in practice in a team meeting and felt that we weren't going to win, you know, or they didn't believe that we weren't going to win. And, and that's important. You know, so, you know, you hear about that, hey, they, they, they lost the team or you can see it in their face. They just don't have any fight anymore. Uh, I don't think that was the case ever with us. Now, we, we, we were playing some bad baseball at times and we weren't having success. But, you know, I, I don't think there was ever a time. And that credit Tim Elko. And along with Tim, other guys like Justin Bench and Kevin Graham and Derek Diamond and Max Chofi and guys that I thought just, you know, remained very consistent in their belief, their belief in themselves and their belief in their teammates. And that's the only way that you can get out of that hole. And so when you ask the question, I think most people say, yeah, duh, you know, a guy hit 20 something home runs and, you know, he bats fourth in a lineup and yeah, they don't make it to Omaha win a national championship, but probably more importantly, it's Tim Elko and his leadership and, and leadership of other guys in that dugout that, that got us through. He had almost like a Kevin Millar, uh, Boston Red Sox feel like down the stretch for you guys, you know, being out front on social media. Like he, that's what he reminded me of was like Kevin Millar with the Red Sox when they're down to the Yankees. And he was like, no, we're not done yet. Like we're going to keep yeah. going here. You yeah. know, and, and I get goosebumps thinking about that because you need somebody like that in the, in the foxhole that's going to yeah. kind of keep carry everybody with them. Right. And, 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 and somebody that's not you know necessarily polarizing. You know, he's, he, he was the face of the program before the season started, right? They were going to build the statue last year, right? When he was playing with you know, one leg, <laughs> you know, so um, he was a guy that could say that he, he, he was the guy that could look into the camera real close and say, don't let the reps get hot. Right. Yeah. He was the guy. Um, and, and, and people, you know, I think appreciated that and, and his calm presence, his, his confidence and his belief, I think permeated, you know, throughout the, throughout the team. And then beyond that, as we started to have success, I think even into, you know, the fan base. I thought this was the most wide open Omaha field we had had in a while. I mean, did, did you feel that going in or, I mean, every team that makes it's good, but did you feel like you had a legitimate shot because it was a wide open field? Yeah. You know, we always felt we were good yeah. and, and I don't mean it in an egotistical way. I mean, you know, we weren't a team. You know, it looked like we came, you know, for, for most people uh, and even your, I think your average college baseball fan, I think, you know, it probably looks like, Hey man, what, what a Cinderella story, but I don't think we ever felt like Cinderella. You know, you're talking about a team that at the beginning of the season returned eight of the starting nine off a team that had the best offense in the sec the year before that was one game from getting to Omaha the year before that it had been to, you know, uh, three super regionals in a row and uh, 16 and, so and one, the COVID year, you guys were 16 and one yeah. the COVID year. So you're, you're talking about, so at the start of the season, we were projected to be one of those teams and played like it, you know, through the first month of the season. And uh, till we started conference play, we were ranked number one in the uh, country uh, in a lot of polls. The first week of conference play, we beat Auburn on the road and went to, I think, a unanimous number one the next week and then got beat up badly by Tennessee, like everybody. 
and uh, just ran into a buzzsaw. And that kind of sent us into a tailspin. We, you know, we won the next weekend, I think, at Kentucky and then came back and got swept uh, by a really hot, uh, you know, Alabama team. And we just really, you know, couldn't figure it out. You know, we just played very inconsistently you know, for, you know, about a month. Uh, so I say all that because I think we didn't feel like that Cinderella team. We didn't feel like a team from rags to riches. We were a team that was really good, a team that was ranked number one, you know, a team that, you know, uh, and so we just need to, we needed a fighting chance. We needed to get back onto that level playing field again. Longest tenured coach in the SEC in 2022. Will we ever see a McNeese head coach go to Ole Miss in, in the climate that we're in right now? I, I don't know. And, and part of me is sad uh, of, of that. Uh, the, 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 the normal path that it used to be um, uh, isn't probably as prevalent anymore, right? So it was, you know, you know go be a graduate. Well, certainly there's not even graduate assistants anymore. So when you look at my path, you know, I'm, I'm uh, young enough or old enough to be like the last graduate assistant, the last restricted earnings coach, you know, that was my path, you know, and, uh, and unfortunate because if there those things weren't available, I don't know if I even get into this profession, but, you know, uh, people that know me know my story. You know, I started off as a graduate assistant for Jim Wells at Northwestern state in the fall of 1990, you know, uh, and, you know, Greg Sankey, our commissioner was there. He, he, so we were neighbors and we lived in the same apartment complex, 1990, uh, 91, 92, you know, there at, uh, uh, in Louisiana, then, the, the rule change in 92 with the restricted earnings coach. And so that's really the, the door that opened. I don't know if I get to LSU or get back to LSU. I was a player there. I don't know if I get back as a coach, if that legislation wasn't, you know, intact for those two or three years. So I go there, I catch it in perfect timing. And then at 30 years old, become the head coach of McNeese state uh, and took a pay cut, you know? And so now uh, it's harder for those guys because, you know, they, you know, fortunately baseball's grown, but the assistant coaches make so much money now at these big programs, uh, the power five programs, it's hard for them to leave and go to a, a school like that. Um, and so you see more of the, you know, the Tim Corbins, you know, that leave as an assistant and go to Vanderbilt or Kevin O'Sullivan or Tony Vitalo, you know, you see more of that. Um, then, then you see, you know, the, the normal path of GA, uh, assistant coach, then go down to the mid major, be a head coach, kind of cut your teeth that way and have success. Then there's still those guys Then you know, they're still out there and, you know, uh, but, but you don't see it as much anymore. And, uh, but it's, it's, you know, things change over time. Does Jim Wells get enough credit for what he did over the course of his career? Absolutely. He not. doesn't, does he? It's not even close. Nobody you know, talks about him. He, no. I was at the 97 World Series at Alabama. Like, I, he, yeah. he was such a good coach. So good. Yeah. And it's a shame because it was it was uh, his career ended just when social media started to to really you know blossom. I, I know they probably had what MySpace or some other <laughs> stuff. You know, uh, you know, back, you know, I think his last year at Alabama was 2009. And yeah. so I, I tell this story a lot. You know, when he went to Northwestern State, he took over a program that had 10 consecutive losing seasons. 10. Yep. 10. 
10 years in a row that they lost more than they won. And he won like 38 games his first year. I think in five years, he won three Southland conference championships uh, and then became the head coach at the university of Alabama in 95, I believe. And he was there from 95 to 2009, you know, maybe, you know, 15 years or 14 years uh, became the all time winningest coach at the university of Alabama, took them to Omaha several times, uh, you know, played the national championship in 97, where unfortunately he ran into a very uh, hot and very talented LSU team um, and uh, but just a tremendous coach. And I mean, uh, just a great, great coach, uh, a guy that really could coach anything, could coach hitters, could coach pitchers. Uh, he uh, part of the reason that that Alabama, I think, uh, got into the baseball business. And what I mean by that is they were like a lot of schools in the Southeastern Conference that uh, were the second tier teams, if you will. Then again, for Alabama fans, I'm not trying to. This is back in you know the yeah. '90s and the '80s. They had uh, they'd uh, built a little stadium there, uh, but Wells was the one that really got it going hosting regionals where they expanded that old stadium uh to be able to you know put the people in that wanted tickets you know in tuscaloosa and you know that it 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 changed baseball forever there and so yeah i agree that in no not even close does he get the credit that he deserves and all the success that he's had was there much difference between how coach wells and coach bartman ran things yeah a lot different what what were the differences I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, uh, probably the trait that people don't talk about Burtman is what a great coach he was. You know, what a great, you know, for lack of a better way, saying X's and O's, you know, how he understood, how he managed a game, uh, what a great pitching coach he was. You know, that probably gets underrated. Maybe not early in his career. He was the USA pitching coach in 88 when they, you know, first Olympic baseball team with, you know, they played at Bossy Field. Coach Bergman yeah, was coaching Mark that team. They were at Boston Field. Yeah, and Ron, uh, Ron Polk was, you know, the third base coach. I mean, legendary guys, right? That, you know, what a, what a, when you look back at it, that, that coached the first Olympic team in 1988, um, you know, over in the Seoul. Was it Seoul? Um, and so, uh, anyway, I think people, when they talk about Bergman now, which I understand and it's true, his system, when he talks about his system, the great thing about his system is like we use here at Ole Miss in 2022, the same bunt defenses that we had in 1988, exact same, the same signals, right? Um, some whatever, you know, 30 something years ago. Um, but one of the things that always he was proud of and was great at, and probably the most underrated thing was he was able to adapt and so in the 90s, when strength and conditioning became you know, uh, more uh, important to our game of baseball, you look at the LSU teams, they were more physical. They were in a weight room. He, he caught on that way. Um, Ken Revisa, when I was there as an assistant, came twice in 95 and 96 and spoke to the team you know, about the mental game and the process before anybody even heard of the process, right? I mean, this is 1995, you know? And, uh, and so Bertman was always on the cutting edge of the new things. Like he would have just ate up the analytics and, you know, all the, the, the different uh, statistics that you get uh, and, and, and how the game is, is, is thought of now. Um, we used well, Schwanky's blast system at Evansville. Yeah, I mean, that was one yeah. of our hitting handouts was Coach Schwanky's blast system. 
Yeah. And so he, he wasn't scared to try things. And a lot of people in his position are, you know, and I am at times, you know, when you, when you're having success, yeah, let's not mess it up. You know, let's just keep it rolling. The reason he was so good is he was able to adapt and change with the times. And, and I say that because I think that's what, you know, people will remember him by and should Wells was the ultimate coach. You know, Wells was the guy that, man, loved to just coach. You know, Bertman was the guy that, you know, he took from Frazier and he learned from Frazier how to go give the speeches, how to go get the people into the stands, how to do that, how to sell the program. I can teach a Mike Bianco or Smoke Laval to teach the pitchers or the hitting or Jim Schwanke to teach the hitters. I can I can get somebody to do that, but I need to sell the program. Uh, Wells was the guy that loved to coach, which is the reason we all get into it, right? You know, that, you know, he wanted to develop pitchers. He wanted to develop hitters. And so he was uh, one of the, the, the greatest X's and O's coaches I've ever been around. There is so much new stuff out, but you said you still use the old bunt defenses, but how do you know along the way, because we have so many new shiny things, how do you know when to maybe implement something new that's out there? Because the kids are around the new shiny stuff. So how do you know when to yeah. implement new stuff? And I think it's, it's, it's a juggle and it's a juggle that, you know, I struggle with, you know, because the coaches in our office know, Hey, listen, I, I don't need a $15,000 paperweight in the back of our hitting complex. Right. You know, like, you know, don't just go buy something because, you know, we have the money and we're never going to use it's a nice toy it was pretty when the guy came but you know it just doesn't help us get better so they know uh, mike clement carl lafferty they know that um if there's something they want they have to they have to sell me on it you know we have to how, how's this going to help us and uh you know and i and i think that's a juggle you know where you know we we want to be state-of-the-art we don't want to be behind but we don't want to be full of crap either yeah you know, and I, and I hate that. I hate that. Hey, you know, we're going to spend a lot of money, but we're not going to use this stuff or we have these, you know, uh, and, and to be honest with you, even in saying that we had track man for years, right? Track man, you know, pro, you know, professional baseball came, major league baseball came, they put a track man. Why? Because they wanted it <laughs> not for us. You know, you guys can have it. We had all this data and this information, but we really didn't know how to use it until, uh, 2018. I think it was May 17, 18. We hired a kid by a guy kid, sorry, uh, a young man by the name of Chris Godoris. Uh, and Chris um, graduated from you know, Bentley University in economics and worked in pro, pro baseball and never, you know, never really played, played a little high school baseball, loved baseball though, worked with the Mets and the Phillies organization, but he really understood because um, analytics is so broad, right? It's it's from you know using statistics like OPS and and WHIP and those you know new generational statistics, but they're also to spin rate, and tilt of fastball, you know, and you know it's extension and you know relative velocity and all these other things uh, that TrackMan and and other machines like that allow you to understand why people are successful, why people aren't, why these guys both, you know, when we used to sit there with a radar gun and this guy throws 91 and this guy throws 91, but this guy gets hit all the time and this guy never gets hit. Yep. And it helps you understand the, all of the, the, the fastball, you know, it's hard to pick up and it's sneaky fast and it rises and all these little things that we've said for years, but we didn't really know 
now there's data that supports that. And, and so we needed somebody to get us over the hump and Chris has done that. And, and the other part of the hump is major league baseball, I think loved the, the track man stuff at the beginning, the track man data and all the things that I was just talking about because it allowed them to discover the next Clayton Kershaw. Instead of some scout saying, hey, he's got a breaking ball like Clayton Kershaw, now you've got the data to prove it, not just the eye, right? For the for, for longest time, you had to trust the eye. Now you got this guy that says it spins like this, it breaks like this, you know, it's, it's got, you know, this much depth to it and, you know, this much, you know, uh, you know vertical break, uh, this much horizontal break. Yada, yada, yada. And they have more and, coverage now, too, because there's TrackMan everywhere. So they're well, that's getting, why they put it up. There's more coverage. You don't have to have people in the stadium to, to get that information. You're getting that information. That's why they put it in Lake Point in Atlanta, Georgia. For that's sure. why they, they, they would pay to put it at Ole Miss and it's other cheaper to It's cheaper to do that than it is to send a million scouts out to watch games. 100%. 100%. So they were smart in that. Yes. But my point being, they wanted to be able to know who the next Clayton Kershaw was. Yeah. Well, we don't, we're not, we don't, we're not privy to that information. Yeah. So it's not going to help us recruiting necessarily, at least back then, at least back, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. So how is that information going to help us? How do we get it to help us develop the, the next pitcher? Yeah. You know, how do we, and so we needed to bring somebody on board that says, Will Etheridge is good, but his his forcing fastball is no good, you know, and this is why. And so here's this, this scatter plot. This is what the you know, forcing does, but this is what his two seam does. And so, you know, you're talking about how do you get, you know, the guys, you know, the young people are all into the bells and whistles. Well, part of it is getting the buy-in being able to show them because they understand it because they've trained with a rap Soto or they trained with some other device. So they understand vertical break, or at least they think they do, or they understand the horizontal break. And so to, when you start to explain it and educate the players and saying, this is what your ball's doing. And that's not good. It's very average. It very, that's why you get hit a lot, but this is what your two seam ball does. And it's not very average, very different. And, and this is why the batting average against that pitch is, 220, but the batting average against this other pitch is 320. And so instead of just saying, hey, I've taught, I was taught to throw a four-seam ball and a two-seam ball, maybe we shouldn't throw the four-seam ball anymore. And so it helps you get buy-in because you have data that backs it up. Or, hey, we want to change the tilt of your fastball a little bit to get a little more ride. Or, hey, you know, we need to – your breaking ball, it looks pretty, but statistically it gets hit. You know, and you throw it in the strike zone. So we need to, to t- change the breaking ball. We need to change the shape, or maybe we need to go to a slider. And so those things, we were able to coach better. So it wasn't in the evaluation. It was in why they're here. How are we going to get them to get, you know, how are we going to use this data to get us better? But now I think Major League Baseball, that's why you see some college coaches getting hired because the college coaches have learned to use it in a different way. And so the, a lot of the professional coaches, they don't know that information and they've never been taught that information. And so it's a lot easier to hire some of these college coaches because they know how to use that information to, I think, develop pitchers. Yeah. And the next gen is Hawkeye because now we're getting more information from Hawkeye on defensive efficiency, routes, 
how the barrel actually moves. I, there was a really good article Major League Baseball came out with a couple weeks ago talking about the pre-movement with the barrel, so we're getting more information. Do you feel like the offense has, has finally started to catch up to the pitching a little bit? Yes, and, 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 and just because of all the technology, you know, from, from video to, uh, you know, when you start to, uh, when you just look at the scouting reports and you just look at them from, you know, just literally, and I say five years ago, and I know to young people that that sounds like a long time ago, right? To, to you and I, it was a blink of an eye, right? But, you know, and the reason I use five years ago is because that's, you know, when Tim Elko was entering the program. So when you look at four or five years, you know, that's just, you know, one recruiting class through. So when you look four or five years ago, and when we used to sit down with a scouting report and go over, you know, Carter Holton from, from Vanderbilt, that report looks a lot different now. You and know, synergy. The, you know, I, Five years ago, no, not as many teams were using synergy. Everybody, I had, don't know if they had synergy. Everybody has synergy now, so yeah. way easier for a scouting report purpose. Okay, I need video on this guy. We can actually get video on everybody now. So if yeah. you want to actually spend That's the time about. to do it, you can do it. Yeah, and so because of because of things like like synergy because of video, uh, because of the data, you know, so you cannot just say, Hey, he's got a good fastball, but Hey, you know, the reason he has a good fastball is it's got a lot of vertical break and we're going to, you know, there's a lot of swings and misses up in the zone and you can show them the video. And, and so there's, there's now again, (laughs) somebody's still got to hit it, you know, Uh, you know, uh, but I, I really believe, that yes, you know, from a hitting standpoint, I don't know why, uh, and it, it probably my guess is, you know, why were why was pitching ahead of hitting? Why was all? I think because of Major League Baseball, they 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 went that route, right? They, they're you know, pitching is the number one most important position, and so when you're drafting guys and when you're looking at evaluating and all those, you need to evaluate those guys first. You need to draft the best pitcher. So you know, I like a lot of things because they're the best in our sport and have the most money, and the most technology. A lot of that trickles down, and and I think that's why pitching went first. But they also realized that hey, they're paying a lot of money for the hitters too, and we got to hit those pitchers so we got to invest you know some time and technology in that as well you know over the course of your career what have you developed to help you handle the ups and downs during a season wow you didn't segue anyway to that you just jumped right over to that um you know probably and this was asked a little bit by chase the other day um i think like anybody as you do it long enough and you gain experience And as the older you get, um, you you just learn things through time. And, um, you know, and as we're going through our tough time this year, um, you know, you have to handle it and you have to be able to um, understand and trust and believe in what you do. And we've, we've had a lot of success here over the last, you know, 21, you know, seasons. And, and so I think you, you go back to some of those moments and you reflect and you explain um, and, and it allows you, if it's the, if this was my, and I said this, I think to, to, to somebody the other day, if we were seven and 14, my first or second year, you know, I don't know if we would have handled it the same way, you know, and I, I know I wouldn't have, you know, uh, uh, but I think, you know, time and experience does that for you. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a, it's a good educator. 
Man, is your yeah. self-talk better? The talk in between your ears, that you, conversation you're having yeah, with yourself? I think that's, yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. Where, um, you know, uh, I, I remember Coach Burtman saying it. I remember Ray Tanner saying it and a lot of guys that I respect that, you know, uh, as they got older, they learned to not let as many things bother them. And, and some of that is, uh, I, I, I think, you know, you, you're – you're doing it on purpose, you know, like, Hey, you know, like, Hey, just take a deep breath. It's, yeah. you know, we're going to be all right. It's not going to blow up. We're going to be fine. Uh, whatever that is, if it's something in an office or something that just happened in a game where, you know, as young fiery coaches, I think, you know, we all are you know emotionally attached so, so much that as time goes on, you know, it's, everybody says, you know, parenting, right? So if you have children, you know, my, my oldest son, you know, laughs uh, how I, uh, how I parent my youngest daughter, right? It's like, well, you, you, you learn over time, right? You learn what works and what doesn't work. And, and, you know, I, I think it's like that in coaching, if it's running a business, if it's parenting or if it's coaching a baseball team, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing like experience. How neat was it to be at LSU for, for senior day? Uh, um, terrific. You know, I, uh, um, uh, my wife, there's, there's a video, uh, of me afterwards where I got you know, pretty emotional. Uh, and, and she asked me, it took her about 24 hours to get enough guts. They asked me, she goes, why, why were you so emotional? You know? Uh, and, and the truth is, um, you know, I missed so much of his stuff and I felt guilty, you know, because, I'm in another uniform. We're at this place. This is, you know, and is this the right time? And, and I think part of that was my own guilt getting to me uh, that, you know, how unfair this is his moment. And it was stupid to feel guilty because uh, I mean, it was stupid to feel um, insecure in those moments because um, it's a once in a lifetime at, experience at the end at of the once day, in a lifetime. I, I loved it, you know, and I, I felt so at ease and so happy that I was be, that I was there. And I think I felt guilty that for even a second, I was like, man, is, man, I'm being another uniform. Is he going to be embarrassed? Am I going to be, is there going to be some idiot in the stands? that's you know, tweet something out, you know, for, for a moment, I wasn't doing what I, you know, I wasn't practicing what I preach, right. Where, you know, it doesn't matter what they think. This is, this is my son's moment. And, uh, but anyway, back to your question, it was awesome. You know, one of the, the neatest things, uh, um, because I have missed so much, I, you know, my, my boys, you know, Ben and, and Drew, uh, and, and Sam for part of it, I think they played for three state championships through their high school careers. And I was only there for one of them. And, uh, I had five kids graduate. I think I've been to two, two graduations. I think I've missed probably every prom, you know, um, you know, there's so much that you miss, um, you know, grow, you know, as they grow up in my profession, in our profession, that, uh, to, to be there for that moment, uh, uh, where every parent almost takes it for granted, right? It's senior day. We're going to do this. Uh, the stars had to align for me to be there, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I wasn't there for, for Ben's, but fortunately I was there for Drew's. I how have you been able to manage that? I think all of us as college coaches, we understand we have a, a job to do. And, and if we want to keep our job, we have a job to do. So there are some things that we're going to have to say no to as a family. I mean, how do you balance that? I think that's the toughest juggling act as a as an elite college coach is, is that balancing act. 
Well, you know, uh, there's, I think they understand it. You know, your, your kids have lived it their whole lives. And, and so when you get to those moments in high school or, or, or college, uh, I, I'm sure they would want us there uh, all the time like the other parents. But I think they understand too, and and there's a trade-off. There's 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 some benefits that you know they got the they got the best gear and hitting the nicest cages growing up, right? And so you know uh, if that can't make all their college baseball games, I think they understand. With that being said, um, you got a job to do, and you know we're not the only profession that pulls us away from our families. There's you know there's people that are salesmen or physicians and and different things. Uh, but I think what you're getting at, and one of the things, you know, from a personal side, I don't do anything besides coach baseball. I mean, I don't. I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't play golf. I, I live on a golf course and have a membership, and I haven't played golf. I haven't swung a golf club in probably eight, ten years, and uh, because there's too much time and involved in doing that. And, and so uh, my fun thing is to be able to go watch my daughter play volleyball, or if I can run after our game and watch the last four innings of an Oxford high school baseball game and my kids playing, uh, or now my son, my oldest son, Michael's coaching at Grenada, you know, uh, Academy, a high school, you know, about 15 minutes here. If I can on one of our days off or leave practice 15 minutes early and run down and watch one of his games, that's, that's my golf. That's, that's, you know, and people say, well, what, what about, you and your personal time that's that's i i get more fun out of that than than i would you know um uh, you know getting in a deer stand or you know going fishing um we bought a, <laughs> my wife and i bought a condo on the beach um so we could have some of our time uh we've owned it for five years and we average about 10 to 11 days a year there so uh, that that plan quite quite hasn't worked out uh but hopefully as as the kids continue to grow and 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 stop playing baseball and and start their own lives uh or their grown-up lives i should say uh, maybe we'll get to the beach a little more often is michael leaning on you for anything advice wise coaching wise yeah i I mean, that's probably a better question for him, but, you know, we talk a lot about it, you know, a lot more, we talk a lot more baseball now than probably when he was a player. And, uh, uh, and that's neat, you know, he's coaching football now. So, you know, last night he came over for dinner and I said, you know, tell me about the football gig, you know, tell me, you know, uh, and so, uh, we hear the stories and, uh, you know, uh, some of it's baseball wise, some of it's just, you know, the drama that can be high school baseball, right? You know, that, uh, uh, and, and, and I say drama, high school baseball, the drama that can be any team, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if it's high school, college, junior college. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 you know, I think, you know, but he's got a good, you know, support group. Uh, you know, he, he coaches for, for BPA, Yalabusha Giants, you know, here in Mississippi in the summertime. And so, you know, he leans on Jared from BPA and Russ Pratt and you know, a lot of great, you know, I think people in his life, uh, that, that have helped him along the way get to where he, where, where he is now. How are you navigating the NIL process and transfer portal? I was going to ask you, I mean, you're, you're at the elite level. I mean, do you have recommendations on it? I know it's kind of the wild, wild west right now, but. It is. And it, it's, it's a shame. And, um, uh, one of the, you know, a bit of advice that, that our commissioner, uh, uh, Greg Sankey has shared with us that, that, you know, I think is, you know, it's, it's not, I think everybody needs to take is this is not going away. Yeah. 
You know, so to think we're going to wake up one day and this is not there, you know, is is probably, you know, really uh, dumb, you know, way of to, to go about your business. Um, <laughs> I think we all hope that at some point there's, there's, you know, they get, you know, they can get their arms around it and, and have some type of, you know, regulations and some type of, so people like you aren't calling it the wild, wild west, which I think is, very appropriate right well, now. Well, some those of us lived this before, not with the NIL, but pre-transfer rule. Those of us that coached summer baseball a long time ago, we we've been through this. We've been down this path. So you yeah. kind of knew what it was gonna look like until they actually get some regulations for it. You knew that's what it was gonna look like. Yeah. So there, there's you know, there, there you're talking about two different things yeah. that came into, you know, uh division one athletics and particularly now as we talk division one baseball <laughs> so they're two different animals and uh you know so it's really two really different conversations and and i, I believe in the, the the transfer portal uh i thought they should have never done away with the one-time transfer rule um i think it would have you know i, I like the the rule the way it used to be where a kid would have to get a release uh i liked the where you know uh, uh uh, we're losing some growth problem. moments right now. I mean, you're losing some growth moments with kids just going into the portal. Yeah, you're losing some conversations between players having to have an uncomfortable conversation or coaches having to have an uncomfortable conversation yep. with somebody. You're losing some growth moments, without a doubt. And I think that's everybody's fear. And and I didn't think that it would happen this quickly in baseball. You know, I thought uh, the reason for it is not that our our players are different than football or basketball, but the difference is our kids aren't on full scholarships. Yes. And so I thought, you know, we, we're, we only have 11.7 scholarships. And so I didn't think that you would see the marquee players leave, you know, power five programs. I thought that what, what it was going to really hurt was the mid major uh, where you have a kid that's, you know, the Sun Belt player of the year that, you know, is he going to look to see, can he get to the, a, a bigger program, uh, you know, and, and play in a bigger conference, you know, and no, again, not trying to throw the stones at the Sun Belt or Southland yeah. or any of that, but <clears throat> I thought that's where you would see the movement. Um, I was a little surprised this early that that many kids from, from major programs and good programs, yes. programs that win, uh, kids, kids would go into the portal. So I, again, I don't know if any of us know where this is going or where it's going to land. So that's, that's one thing. I'm a believer in that. Uh, I, I'm not a believer that you should make a kid stay at, at school X um, because he signed a scholarship. Heck they're making kids that are walk on stay, you know, the old rule where, you know, the parents, let's face it, 11.7 scholarships, the average scholarship in baseball is 33%. And so at Ole Miss, which were like most of our counterparts in the Southeastern Conference, out-of-state tuition uh, and everything is $45,000. So if a kid's on a third of a scholarship, that means his parents are paying $30,000 for him to go to school at Ole Miss or LSU or Mississippi State or Alabama or whatever. If that kid wants to leave because he's not playing or the kid that was supposed to get drafted didn't get drafted and showed up and, and now that kid's – and the coach wants him to leave too, that's fine. If you want to leave, I'm okay with that. And everybody wants him to leave, but the NCAA says you can't. Yeah, I got a problem with that, right? Uh, and so that's why the one-time transfer, you know, or now the transfer portal, I think is, is not a bad thing, right? Uh, so all those, hey, it's free agent – 
I think that's I think that'll slow down just through itself. I mean, at some point, people are going to realize that the in-vogue thing isn't just to go into the portal. There's over 2000 kids in the portal. And just like football, there won't be a landing spot for everybody. And I, I think people are going to get that. Um, the, the NIL is really the thing that scares me. I think that's the thing that it scares everybody, you know, where um, where where does this end and, and how do we wrap our brains around it? And 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 how do we, you know, uh, and, and it's not that the kids shouldn't make money. I, I, I get it, especially in a sport uh, where, you know, parents are paying a lot of money for their kids to go to school. Um, but even in our sport, you know, kids are making well over what the cost of attendance is. Um, uh, and I can only imagine what happens in football and ba basketball. So how do they, how, how does, how does this happen? How do we, how did they, how, you, you knew last summer it was going to look like when you just roll something out like that with no regulations on it. You, but would it happen in baseball? You know, yeah. that, and that's where I don't know if any of us were prepared, you know, you knew it would happen in football because football's king and, and uh, you know, what, what could a guy get, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's some booster out there that wants that running back or whatever, that they can make that happen. Uh, but I also think that baseball, I mean, uh, money's finite, right? There's only so much money. And, and I think it will change as years come because again, there's only so much money. And I think everybody wants to be all in now because they're worried about if we don't go in now. And when I say everybody, I'm talking about boosters or anybody, all the collectives, all this, we got to help our programs now. But at some point when somebody paid a running back $500,000 and the running back doesn't play. Yes, no return on investment. Two weeks later, he's in a portal and he's going to go play for your arch rival. You know, does that why does that guy go? Okay, don't worry about it. What, who's the next running back? I'll write a half a million dollar check to him. You know, when did when when did the people writing the checks go? Whoa, yes. You know, let, let let me sit back and you know before when I gave you half a million dollars and it became a weight room, right? Um, you know, that, you I was that. okay because because I got my name on the weight room. Yes. You know, now I, I I put put my money on this kid. Well, it's not like Little League. You're not the sponsor's not going to get put on the back of the the jersey like Little League. Right. And so there's and that's just one part of it. And I say that tongue in cheek, but there's going to be stories like that. And then the other part of it that that scares me is where the promises are going out to where they're not going to be able to live up to the promises. You know, it's one thing to promise a guy a scholarship, but eventually he has to sign that contract. What happens when the kids are showing up and they're not getting paid what they said they were going to, or they were told they were going to get paid or they're not playing well. Yeah. The kid comes right in baseball. Tim Elko wasn't Tim Elko his freshman year. Yeah. And so what happens when that, you know, so there's a lot of that and, 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 and so many more uh, that I think we all worry about. So where is this going to land? Um, I guess we're just going to have. Yeah, to that's that's my fear too for the players because now when that type of money is involved, it is more like professional sports where fans feel more invested, where they can actually say something because whether a kid's on money or not, they just think every kid's getting nil money, and that might that's not going to be the case for every kid. Where now fans are going to treat it more like professional sports, where they feel like, well, yeah, I, I can go after there. somebody. I, I think we're already there. I, yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't worry necessarily about that. Um, 
but but I hear what you're saying. Um, but 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 you know, one of the things that I don't understand, and I'm not a, a legislator and, and I'm not a, a lawyer, um, but in professional sports, they do have rules. See, you know, professional sports, they, they have rules where you can't become a free agent until six years that you can't, you can't do some of these things. If you're going to play major league baseball, now, Hey, it's America. I can do what I want. Yeah. But not in major league baseball, yeah. you know, so you can go to Japan and play if you want to, but you, you, you can't play, you can go to independently, but you can't, these are the rules that, that, you know, define major league baseball or the NFL. And so they have salary caps and they have different things they just made this wide open to where they, they could do whatever they wanted. Uh, and I know that's being too general. I get that. Hey, Derek Jeter could sign with Nike or Adidas or do I, I, I understand that, but, but there, there's gotta be some way that we can get, gather some, not I, we like college athletics. I'm yeah. talking, we as, as sports can come to agreement what's what's right and how to, what and I I'm not smart enough to figure that out I'm gonna let the smart guys figure that out yeah I asked you when you and the boys are on the podcast with me about your your pregame speeches because I love them and you know how much time are you spending on your your pregame speeches um you mean to to, to the to, team well actually saying them you know or anywhere from a you know, minute to three minutes. You don't want them to be too long. There's a couple of them that, that are really good that last a little longer than maybe I prefer, but they're good. So we, you know, I, I do them anyway. Um, I, I don't, you know, uh, continue to try to, um, you know, find new ones. But one of the things that I do is um, I, I go through periodically, you know, during the season, I pull stories out and I put them in a notebook. Some of them are about handling adversity. Some of them are about staying consistent. Some of them are about believing their teamsmanship or, um, you know, uh, putting a team away or whatever it is. And so I put those away. So, you know, when we're playing Auburn and we're on the road, I can pull out the appropriate, you know, story. Uh, and then when I'm done, I put it in another folder in my briefcase. So I keep all the stories from the season before that current season. So when I'm done, I put them in a notebook and it'll say 2022 stories and I'll have all the stories. And so I won't say any story in 2023 that I said in 2022. Love it. Uh, and so, um, I will pull some stories maybe out of 2021 if I think they're really good or the kids rank them. Then when we're done telling them, they go to Clement and they kind of rank the stories about how they're good. So sometimes I, sometimes I think a story is good and they don't like it and sometimes vice versa. And so they start to find out which ones are the favorite. But, you know, the hope is if you're Tim Elko and you've been here for four years, you, know, you may hear a story twice. But, you know, remember, they're hearing 60, 70 stories a year. So, you know, over the course of, you know, four years, I mean, that's almost 300 stories. And so, um, you know, uh, so, again, we try to you know, every couple of years. But I, I got them in notebooks under my desk. So, Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you? But looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? Well, certainly when you just look at the season. I mean, when you just, you know, you, you look at that and you, nobody really knows, uh, you know, I've said this a few times that I'm sure some, you know, listeners probably heard, heard me say this, that, you know, one of the cool things about this year, uh, and you don't know it when you're going through adversity. So, you know, at the beginning of the year, um, uh, I may make the team read a book. And this year uh, we reread a book that, you know, from 2014 called the energy bus, John Gordon, I'm sure you've heard of it. <laughs> a great little book. We try to, 
find a very small, big printed book, so they'll actually read it. Yeah. Uh, and so they they read this book, The Energy Bus, and obviously it's about a man's life and you know where he is. He's in a tough time in his life, and you know figures it out, figures out about being positive, and you know uh, a lot of lessons throughout the book. But anyway, so the mantra this year was to enjoy the ride, and so we give a shirt out at the end and. You know, it says enjoy the ride on the shirt. And uh, but I also added something, enjoy the ride, good and bad, because there's good and bad with everything, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, and if you can enjoy the bad, then 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 you're in the right spot. Right. And realize and start making it instead of losing, you're learning. Right. You're starting to, 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 to find those moments to where how is this going to help me rather than just have a pity party for yourself. And so we've talked about that. We didn't know we were going to be seven and 14, you know, and so they didn't know when in December, when we talked about, you know, good and bad, you know, enjoy the ride, the good and the bad. Uh, they didn't realize that, you know, like nobody does. Um, but back to this team in this particular year, um, we got through our struggles and to their credit, we get out, you know, you know, through the other side and we've talked about it you know, about getting to level playing ground and obviously, you know, what a tremendous ending. And so, and I've said this to the team and I've said it to the fans during a celebration. Um, we had so many people show up in Omaha, you know, there's 26,000 in the stadium. There had to be over 20,000. That's not an exaggeration. A lot of jello shots were bought. <laughs> 18,000. <something. laughs> wow. And $5 a pop, right? It's good. So marketing. Grand of Phenomenal marketing. Yeah. So, um, and so my point being, we had so many people show up at Omaha. Um, most people would think, well, heck yeah, because uh, you, you're there, you know, in Omaha, you're going to win a national championship. And probably some of them thought that when they were driving up and trying to find a hotel and all that. But I think the real reason that we had so many people there is because people fell in love with their story. I think people, uh, I don't know if we had, would have had as much if we were 60 and eight, you know, that, you know, uh, people like that, you know, uh, riches, rags, riches. I don't want to say rags to riches story, uh, but, you know, love people that, you know, the, the underdog, the team that fell down and got back up. And, uh, you know, we've all been told in our lives and we've either seen a quote, a parent, a coach, somebody's told us, hey, you know, if you if you just believe in yourself, you know, if you continue to work really hard, uh, good things will happen to you eventually. You just got to hang in there, but you got to keep believing, got to keep working hard. You know, we've seen, we've been in doctor's offices and we've seen posters that said something to that effect. Um, some of us believe that, some of us don't, right? You know, unfortunately, right? Some of us think, well, ah, no, it's, it's who you know, not what you know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's all about luck and good fortune. And, you know, you know, I've got this lot in life that I'll never be that person. And that's, that's, that's sad. But some of us believe in that, that, hey, if you believe in yourself, you work hard, good things will happen for you. These guys actually lived it. You know, these guys actually lived it. Now, they didn't know they were living it when they went through it, right? Uh, but they, they, there, was a good, there was a time where all they had was to believe in themselves and to work hard. They didn't have much after that. Even in this great program with these great facilities and, you know, all they had was themselves, those guys in the dugout, you know, that, that believed in themselves, believed in each other and continued to work hard. And I think the fans 
and even not just our fans, but fans around the country, when they started to hear the story, you know, kind of got enamored with it and said, man, this, this is a really neat deal. And, and so, yeah, that's the, that's the fall forward. That's the, that's what I think about when I think about this season, how cool it was that, you know, I got to be a part of that to get to, you know, they let me on the bus, you know, for that ride. And, uh, and it was a pretty neat ride. Well, and beer shower, I mean, brought the beer shower to, to Chuck. Yeah. You know, that, but that's the, that speaks to the tradition of your, your program. You talked about, you know, people waiting. I, I always like preseason. You got fans two miles down the road trying to get their, their lawn chair spots in the outfield. I mean, that's, it's gotta be gratifying for you. You've built a, an unbelievable tradition there. Like, and, and that just shows like, okay, they're playing in Omaha, but they're still going to do the beer shower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the fans are unbelievable. And, you know, and we've, uh, you know, we fortunately have been here, you know, for a long time and we've, 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 uh, uh, developed and you know, grown a lot of different traditions and, uh, you know, cool experiences. And, you know, it's what makes it, you know, such a, a great, unique atmosphere being at Swayze field. And, um, it's one of a kind. And, and so, you know, when you get 20,000 of them, you know, in, in a stadium in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, you know, you can show the rest of the world, you know, how cool Swayze field could be. Hey, when are you handing them the team book? When do they get it? When do they when they, they get, get it right before they go home for for Christmas? So, so right before. You know, so there's no excuses, right? You can't tell them <laughs> what they do or you know. Hey, and we do. We 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 sit. Sometimes it gets difficult, you know, because I read a lot, but but you know, I, you know. I can't give them a, you know, 500 page book. Um, you know, it's got to have a, you know, it's got to have a message and the right message for that year. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of those types, and there's a lot of them now, you know, now that John Good, Gordon has made it, you know, kind of the, 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 you know, the, the, the cool thing to where you can pick up a lot of these different, you know, motivational self-help books that that are easy reads right there are 130 a lot of different chapters four four pages and a new chapter flip a page boom now i'm on page 12 you know um the but the, the kids eat them up and you know i don't want them to, to to listen to it on tape you know i don't want them to you know you know uh i want them to read it you know uh you know they, they, i like the they, hard copy so you can take notes like they're you know and not every kid's going to do that but just having the physical hard copy yeah. of the book that that makes it more their own no doubt no doubt and 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 so they bring the book you know when we come back you know the the first meeting and we talk about it and ask them about their their favorite you know parts of the book because you know usually in those books there's a different message each chapter and uh it's great to hear their perspectives to hear a tim elko or justin bench say hey my favorite part was this you know and uh and then i keep the book in my briefcase uh so throughout you know the you know the the the, the season you know, you may be in week seven and something happens during that weekend where, you know, that's chapter, you know, six, you know, in an energy bus. And, you know, one of the lessons is whatever. And uh, and so, yeah, that's, you know, another reason for the hard copy. The guys that are coming into your program, what would you like to see them a little bit better at maybe than what they are, you know, before they get to you? Um, I always say that, you know, the, the most difficult thing uh, for us, you know, early on in the fall is to, can we get them to play with the same confidence as they played last year in high school or junior college? 
You know, can we, you know, because uh, for the first time in most of their lives, they step on the field and they're not the best player, you know. Um, and so they all batted third at their high school or they all, you know, were the A's. And, uh, you know, then they get here and they start looking around and they start thinking differently, you know. And so they handle failure differently. So when they don't have a good batting practice or they uh, have their 0 for 3 in an inner squad game, for the first time in their life, they're going, wow, am I going to redshirt? Am I going to get cut? You know, am I going to not start? Am I going to, you know, and they've never thought that way before. And that really uh, slows down, you know, their, their development. And, uh, and some guys uh, it takes them, you know, a semester to get through some guys, it takes them a couple of years, you know, to get, to, to get over that um, and to, to be able to play with the confidence and the freedom uh, that they did. That's why some guys will, they were 90 to 93 in high school as a pitcher and they show up on campus and you know, they're 88 to 90 and they're healthy. They're fine. They're actually in better shape than they were, you know, four months ago in high school. Uh, but they just don't throw it the same. Yeah. And volume of throwing too. I mean, that, that was the thing I always tried to relate to, to the incoming freshmen, especially is like, Hey, we're going to throw a lot more. So you may, you might be in the weight room for the first time. There's a lot of different things going on here where you may kick back a little bit velocity wise. Don't worry about it. Like you'll make that next jump. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, all, all of the volume, it does, not just pitchers, but you know, for, for infielders and, you know, everything that they're doing, um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, most of the kids are elite players and they come in and they've played in, you know, elite high school programs and summer programs and they've had hitting coaches and personal trainers and they've had all that. And then they come here and get their butts kicked. <laughs> you know, but they're like, wow, I, I, didn't, I, I thought I was working. And that's everybody, though. That's, you know, it's, you know, but what would you expect? I mean, I would hope that, you know, you're, you're coming into a program that you're hoping that you, you, you said in the recruitment that you wanted us to develop you into a better player. Well, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Right. You know, like we need to step it up. So yeah, you're going to take a lot more ground balls. You're going to throw the ball across the infield a lot more. You're going to hit, you're going to lift, you're going to do these things. And, 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 and it's amazing where you, you, you watch them grow where the first few weeks you see the freshmen and they're all like dying. And, um, and, and then all of a sudden you look at the sophomore that used to look like that. But some of that is just the mental pressure. So because when you're a freshman, you, you're dealing with a lot of unknowns. You don't know what the next day. And now when they're going over a bunt defense, you're trying not to screw it up. And so, yeah, your legs feel like a thousand pounds because you're lifting and you're sore. Uh, but mentally you're like, you don't want to screw it up and you're trying to do these things. And so you're just beat. But when you come back as a sophomore, it's not that you're in that much better shape, but you're not as a sore because you're used to the weight room and you're used to the volume that 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 it takes to be an Ole Miss baseball player. But then you also the bunt defense, even if we put a new one on that you never heard, you're not stressed out. You know, you're not getting cut tomorrow. Right. You know that this this one day is not going to make or break you. And, and, and I think they're you know, that's why some guys it takes a while for them to get over the hump. So I guess my answer is, yes, if we could just get them to take a deep breath and relax and just play, uh, it's going to be OK.
You know, you, you know, nobody's going to be the starting shortstop on day one. Just just relax and play. And you're smart enough. You're you're athletic enough. You're going to be great. Just allow yourself to be great. And that's similar to the LSU staying in the same hotel because now you know what to expect. Like that, yeah. it, it's slower for you because you know what to expect now. Like right. you, you have, you're, you know what. To you're expect. exactly right. Yeah. And I think that's what happens when 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 they're a freshman. That's why we bring all the freshmen in in the summer. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're here. They're, this is their last week. They all leave on Friday, but that's why they're here. Yeah. We can't do anything baseball wise. And a lot of them, when you tell them that they go, what? Like, you know, but no, you don't get it. You're going to be in the weight room. So you're not going to be sore, yes. you know, in September, you know, you're doing the running, you're going to be in better shape. You're hitting in the cages. You're, you're in the dorm, you're meeting all your, 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 you know, the kids that are in your class, but you're also meeting half of the returners. So when you step on campus, you're going to know 70% of the team where 15 years ago they would walk in and they knew nobody. It was just them and their roommate that they met two hours ago. And now that first week, they got to go to weights. They got to go find their class. They got to go find study hall. They got to go find the cafeteria. They got to go find the bank. They got to go find a haircut. They got to find all these things for the first time. And so everybody talks about the incoming freshmen, not athletes, but the incoming freshmen is the first semester is the most difficult for every first two weeks. They're deer, they're deer in headlights. And yeah. and there's so many more people on campus once school starts. Yeah. And so when you when you when you think about if that's the regular student that has all those stresses, now throw on that you're trying to be an elite baseball player and you're trying to throw a bullpen or you're trying to take batting practice. And now the volume that we just talked about and all the work, you're throwing that on top of it. No wonder they had a tough fall. I mean, you know, and so coming in the summertime, I think alleviates a lot of that. What are some final thoughts? Wow, I don't know. You tell me. We've talked a lot. Hey, do what, you have a favorite what, baseball story? That do you do you have a, a favorite baseball story? I hate I, I, I hate I, that. Uh, I no, mean, you don't I, have to. I like. I mean, you have. I'm again, I have so much time. respect for you. You know, just not just your career, but the people that you've been around. Like you, you have a very unique path. Not everybody has gotten to experience the things that you've gotten to experience in baseball. And I think sometimes those of us that grew up in the game, like take mm -hmm. that for granted where, again, you don't have to, if you don't have a base favorite one, I mean, cause I, you've had a million know, along the way, like it's hard to single any one of those out. Yeah. I'm no, I, be honest, right? I'm, I'm blessed. I mean, I, I've been fortunate. And yeah, you've worked also hard. worked too, though. Like, you need to give yourself more credit. Like, you, you've well, worked your, your well, we, butt. We off. all work hard, and you know, I, and I appreciate it. Thank you, but we all work hard, and um, you know, some of us have you know been a little more fortunate than others. You know, uh, you know, uh, heck, I, I didn't think it was going to take 22 years to win a national championship. You know, I, you know, I worked for a guy that made it look very easy. Yeah. He won five in 10 years. And I thought, Hey, I'd get my sec job and you know, I'll win my five in 10 years. I got this system, right. I'm a, I got the book and the stories and I'll just plug it all in. And, you know, it, uh, he, he made it look so easy. It's not that easy. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we have worked hard. I'm, I'm proud of our guys. I'm proud obviously of the players, uh, but not just this team all the guys that have ever worn the uniform, you know, uh, uh, somebody asked me that the other day and that's one of the things they say, hey, the first 15 minutes, you know, after the final out, you know, what were you thinking about? And that was one of the things, you know, uh, this wasn't easy, you know, and, and, and it was much harder than I thought it would be. And we've had a lot of great teams. We've had some teams that were probably better than this team. Yeah. And we've had some teams I'm talking about physically yes. and, um, and unfortunately it didn't work for them, you know, and it wasn't like, 
we did anything different. It wasn't like, oh, God, this is the secret recipe. We, we forgot this. If we do this, we win. Um, uh, we, it, it worked for this team, and we played really well uh, when it mattered and, and, and won it all. But, so I'm proud of this team, but I'm proud of all the guys that have ever worn the uniform. Uh, and, I, and I mean it sincerely. You know, the championship, you know, it's the 2022 uh, national championship, but, you know, the 21 years prior to that, the guys that wore the uniform have made this possible, you know, uh, and some tough losses along the way. And th those guys wore those losses. And, uh, and so uh, everybody deserves a, you know, uh, a piece of this. Uh, but then also a coaching staff, as you mentioned, that, you know, especially, you know, uh, Clem and Laugh that, that have been here, you know, Clem's been here for what, eight years now, no, but maybe 10 years. It came in 2015, nine years, maybe. Um, Anyway, you know, guys that have, you know, uh, the blood, sweat and tears uh, that you know, put a lot of time and effort and to see, it, you know, the culmination of that's pretty cool. I'm happy for you, coach. I'm, I'm well, pumped for you. you. So thanks for your time. Appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks so much, Coach Bianco, for making time to come on the podcast. He's had a crazy summer and it means a lot that he took time out to jump on with me. Congrats again to the Ole Miss players and staff on their first national championship. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Jim Richardson, and Matt Weston, ABC Office, for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownley at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, Instagram at ryanbrownley17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Set me free.